You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host as always. Thanks for listening in every single week. This week, we have a new topic. We have Bianca Sandri in from Urbanista. She's going to be helping us out with an introduction to town planning while we need them, or how they help, uh, where they get involved across the spectrum of property and especially property development in Western Australia. Bianca, thank you very much for coming in. You're so welcome, Trent. I'm very excited to be here. Hey, Bianca, before we start talking about the nitty gritty of town planning, can you give us a little bit of a background on what it is that you do, where you come from, and uh, generally your uh, involvement not only in planning but also council which is a really important part of the planning process for a lot of people. Yeah I guess in terms of my background I actually started my career in local government first at the city of Vincent then the city of Bayswater and then the Shire of Serpentine Jaredale for a small portion and that was quite an interesting local government to work for. Bit of a drive every day. A bit of a drive but it was well worth it because it, I think it rounded me out as a town planner um, particularly being the coordinator out there but from that I decided to start Urbanista Town Planning with two other business partners. We're equally like-minded and in really have such enthusiasm for town planning and then a couple of years into starting Urbanista Town Planning, I decided I wanted to see the other side of local government and that came down to being on councils. And I felt like I wanted to make a bit of a difference in my area. So I sit on the City of Stirling Council, currently the Deputy Mayor. And through that, I also sit on the Land Redevelopment Committee for Metropolitan Redevelopment Authority. And I previously sat on JADAP as well. So, you know, multifaceted you know I have a real passion for place making was uh, hugely involved with the town team movement for a small portion so yeah I think planning is the way to go in terms of a career moving forward. <laughs> Bianca before we uh, came to air this morning we uh, were chatting about the role of town planning these days especially in Western Australia how it might be different to town planning on the other side of Australia and one thing you said to me was that town planning has a very big portion of that politics, uh, the lobbying side. Most of us, if we're going to hire a town planner, we very much expect a certain level of expertise in town planning. Don't get me wrong. But on top of that, we also want uh, our application approved. And we all know that it comes down to some of the nuances, the grey areas uh, in Western Australia as well. Would you agree with that, uh, that point there? Look, I think in terms of town planning in Western Australia, it is so complex. So we see all different types of developers, mums and dads, etc., use town planning services in the private sphere. When you start looking at the bigger applications, so your joint development assessment panels over $2 million, mixed use developments, etc., there is absolutely a level of politics that comes into play. And that is either derived out of a mandate that's come out of councillors at a particular local government or it might be something that is state-driven. You know, changes in planning framework might come from the HIA. You just don't know. So when you engage a town planner for those types of developments, it's really important that they have a network as well and so that they also have, I guess, their finger on the pulse. They know Mm. what's going on. They know who to talk to if something goes wrong and really understand how to move forward to be able to get that approval that the client's wishing to seek. The machinations and the incentives, I guess, that councillors have as well, the way that things work when it gets to council or JDAP, that's such an important 
part of that, right? Absolutely. I mean, you need to understand what personalities are in the room, what people stand for, their agendas, etc. So there's a particular local government that is anti-development or high-rise, then you already know you're going to be having quite a difficult time going through the council process. So that's when you start to consider other options that are on the table. You said that town planning is quite a political thing these days, but for me, it seems like in the last five to 10 years, it's become extremely political. And especially since the state government has been pushing councils into places they don't want to go. Things like childcare centres, things like high-rise apartments, they can get a lot of backlash from councillors, local community as well. Well, and it seems as generally a lot of things getting pushed through though too. How do we work through that information, uh, work through, I guess, the grey areas, not be scared off as mid-tier or small-tier developers uh, seeing a lot of the newspapers getting f- filled up with NIMBYs, but at the same time, there's also evidence of a lot of people achieving a lot of things. Yeah, so I guess if we look at the small to mid-tier, so we're looking at our smaller developers, you're looking at your tri- triplexes or small apartment developments, my advice is speak to a town planner and get them to advise you where the most appropriate places are at the moment to have the least amount of resistance. We know in the industry which local governments are going to give you grief and which ones will let you get through a bit quicker. And then that comes down to, I guess, the feasibility of the client, whether they want to go down the trajectory of having a difficult planning application process or a more seamless approach and whether it stacks up financially. The NIMBY argument is a difficult one because in my opinion that only really occurs where a local government hasn't undertaken the correct consultation process and taken their community on the journey to be able to um, for them to be satisfied. That's a very diplomatic response. Well, it's response. not really. I mean, it's diplomatic to a certain degree, but it's very true. You know, I, I've witnessed it being at council at the City of Stirling. Recently, we did the Dinella Industrial Area Precinct. That's going from industrial to residential. And we went through a two-year process with the community in order for them to understand what the changes will be and understand what they want and understand also what the developers and the owners wanted in that area. And I think we bridged that gap perfectly. Now, moving forward, when there's development applications come up, I imagine they're going to be fairly seamless for those people because there was a process that was undertaken. What about Um, in areas like the city of Netherlands and the city of Subiaco where you've got this disparity between the goals, objectives of the state government, which are quite arbitrary, and the continual resistance of residences? At the end of the day, there really is no convergence. And it's only now that a a thumb has been put down from the Minister of Planning that things are getting moving, but it is still to the uh, very vehement objection of a lot of councillors and their constituents. Look, I think I can use City of Netherlands as an example. And, you know, I've operated in that space since the new scheme has been operational. It's an interesting one because they did have a scheme. The council had a scheme. They were almost about to adopt it and it was about to go to the West Australian Planning Commission. And I think had that occurred, they probably wouldn't be in the place that they're in now. Not probably, they wouldn't. And I think at that point, had that previous scheme been adopted, then I think they probably wouldn't have the level of resistance that they have now. The resistance at the moment, I think, for City of Netherlands, particularly from the residents, in my opinion, as an observer and and operating in that space, is really those transition areas where you're putting apartments or group dwellings in the suburbs getting deeper into the streets and away from the main main road. So I think that's where the issue is. 
and I actually think the model that the City of Netherlands officers came up with after a significant amount of community consultation as part of their original scheme, that really would have worked well. I think it's a, it's a missed opportunity and it's unfortunate and now they're, they're stuck with it. It is what it is. Yeah, it and is it's pushing it through these days. The Minister for Planning... Rita Safiotti is a pretty strong woman and when she wants, she gets these days. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, look, I, I understand where she's coming from. The scheme was in place from the late 1980s and there may not be an opportunity moving forward for the next 20 years to relook at that scheme. So it had to be done, I guess. Let's strip it back. This is an introduction to yes. town planning. It's nice to have a quick chat about where the lay of the land is. What's the smallest challenge or issue a client might face that you think it would be of value for someone to call you up and say, Bianca, we need your help? How small can it get? Oh, look, I mean, I've had carports, patios. I've had the lot and, and most planners in the industry would. It's funny, the smaller the problem often the harder it is to get through council because there's obviously some reason why they're objecting to it. I recently actually had someone the other day contact me. They put a patio up on top of their garage and they didn't realise there's a front setback requirement and they've built it straight up to the street. I'm thinking, oh no, how, how are we going to get resolve this? But uh, I guess at the end of the day, we're problem solvers. So we will often get things through. But, you know, there's always has to be a level of understanding and compromise with clients as well. They're not everything that's on the wish list will always get through, but we've got to pick out those items that they want and that's often what we'll get. Okay, so we've spoken about the smallest thing. What's the most numerous thing? Challenge, the request, the service you provide that you would do all the time? Due diligence. I think due diligence is probably the biggest item. Clients, when they're looking at prospective properties, will email us through what's the heights, what are the setbacks, what's the zoning, what can we do, is there anything moving forward in terms of change of zoning? At least in that way, it gives them a level of assurances over that particular site moving forward in purchasing and then later on developing. And I think also what that does is set them up for a really positive outcome in the planning process because they're already aware of what the issues will be. Is that a service that the industry provides at their own risk for free or is it something that has a fee attached every time you ask for a fee? So how often would you get these requests? Look, I think every firm is different. I can speak on experience from our firm. If it's an ongoing client or a new inquiry and it's very basic level information, we won't charge for that. Yep. But quick email, some, quick chat. Yeah, that's fine. That's not an issue. But if we're saying to delve more into, okay, what are the setbacks? What are the height requirements? What's your density? I want to what? do an apartment building. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, you know, and then at that point, we're providing a formal DD and we'll provide that at a fee. Is it useful or justified to get town planners involved for a simple side-by-side development or a triplex? It depends which local government. <laughs> that is a really good point And I would agree. There are triplex designs, there are childcare centres, there are certain commercial developments that would be easily pushed through in one council and the council next door would be the hardest time of your life. Yeah, so often we have a lot of clients that do side-by-sides and triplexes, etc. In my experience with them, I often say to them, if I think it's fairly straightforward, you lodge the application as soon as you get a request for further information. And as we know, you will always get one of those, regardless of how compliant you may think you are. And at that point, we will intervene We'll provide a response back and we'll also tell the client how to change the plans if necessary. So I think that's really important. But certainly with particular local government, City of Vincent's a prime example, their framework's complex. They've got a built form policy plus the R codes plus some nuances. So it's important to get some feedback from a private planner up front or go have a chat with the local planner and the local government if you can get a hold of them. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that can be really hard with a lot of councils, especially right now, given a lot of development applications are going through. Great example, Sterling, Canning. You, you pretty much can't get through to a planner right now. You, you might wait two days to get have them come back to you. Absolutely. We're finding that pretty much everywhere. It was actually funny. I was speaking to the manager at Wanneroo the other day. They had 600 building permits go through last month. Mm. That is just historic. Yeah. Well, I wonder which suburb that is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have a little bit of insider information for all the listeners today as to the councils you would suggest are the tricky ones? The ones that if you are, unless you are really experienced, would be a tough time and you probably will need a town planner regardless. Look, I think if you're going through joint development assessment panels, so $2 million plus, always have a planner to assist. If you're looking at smaller developments, in particular local governments, I think it's important to seek advice from a private planner up front. City of Vincent being one, Town of Victoria Park to a certain degree because they've got character requirements. You can get hit with something that you didn't know. You exactly. buy a property and then you're stuck with a lemon. Yeah, and then you've got, you know, City of Stirling has heritage protection area, so it's really important to understand the parameters around that. Often people will buy a property thinking they can demolish it, but you can't. City of Joondalup with their, and there's currently a new planning framework They've coming been trying through. trying for a while, haven't they? Yeah, so that's coming through. Which is, I think, a backward step. It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be mindful on who's listening. So City of Joondalup, I think, is often you'll need a town planner, but I think it's, it's probably a smart decision to ask a planner before you purchase the site what are the issues, what do they think, and just move forward from there. When we're engaging a town planner on a residential space, do you have an idea for us as to what most firms would be in terms of cost involved? Is it a $15,000, $20,000 exercise? Is it a five, ten $10,000 exercise? And this is normally just for your, your side-by-sides, your triple Xs, things that normal mum and dads going with normal residential finance would be doing in an R20 to R50 uh, space. What would it normally cost you to engage a town planner? And uh, the reason I ask this is, it gives people an opportunity to uh, understand the value for money. Mm. Generally speaking, I think that if you're looking at a side-by-side house and it's not going to council, it's something that can be determined by the officers in the local government, then really all you should be paying for is a response back to that request for further information. Depends how much information is required, but you're looking at maybe somewhere between $1,000 and $2,000. So it's not a huge amount of money in comparison to the grief that it will probably cause you trying to answer them yourself. You'd be working in tandem with the builder and the architect if there is one involved. Yeah, that's right. And normally we work with the designer or the architect involved or the builder. In some occasions, we do have builder clients as well. If you're looking at like triplex developments plus and you want a planner to carry out the entire process, you're probably looking at somewhere between um, two to four thousand dollars, I would think. Again, it depends on the comp- complexities around that. And then if you're looking at apartments, I mean, a- apartments at the moment, and I should preface those costs are around the current planning framework mm. with the current R codes. Well, but things are moving, aren't they? Exactly. So if medium density code comes into play, then Uh, that will elevate the fees because of the amount of work that is required in terms of assessment. And we've seen this particularly with apartments, what used to be a ticker box exercise under the previous R codes and maybe would have cost the client, you know, $2,000 for a planning report. Firms are charging anywhere between five to $10,000 for a planning report for apartments and simply 
because of the level of assessment that's required. Do you think it gets harder because when you the new codes come in, the planning officers are just crapping themselves that they don't really understand themselves and it takes a while for them to get in there and it just becomes harder to get things through in the first year or so? It's a lot of change happening right it's now. It's an interesting one. I mean, I actually, I actually have to give the local governments a prop because when Design WA came through, so that's the apartments volume, volume two, yep. two when that came through, most local governments did really well in understanding the policy and applying the policy. Of course, there's nuances that we'll disagree on, etc. That's not unusual generally in planning anyway. It's always subjective. But they did really well. So I would hope that the same approach would be taken for medium density code. But there's always an adjustment period. We've spoken about the medium density code a little bit. Let's segue into it quickly if we can. Do you think it's a positive step? And do you think it's going to price a lot of uh, small developers out of the market on small blocks? Look, I think it will take time to adjust to. I think it will provide better outcomes long term. But I also think we have to be mindful that it's not a ticker box exercise. So not every lot will be able to accommodate the full requirements in the medium density code. And there really needs to be some initiative and thought process around that when it comes down to the individual local governments assessing it. I really hope it doesn't price out people. I really hope it doesn't, but I, in reality, I think it may. I think it's going to add a lot of risk to the mum and dad who would generally just go by. The good thing about the computer saying yes or the computer saying no is that there is a rule book and you can play within it. As long as you understand the rule book, you may not need that much advice left, right and centre because it's pretty homogenous. You can understand, you can guess what the issues are going to be. When it moves into more of, again, that performance-based space, it really comes down to a, a lot more subjective opinions from people and that's where probably you're going to get a lot more work, I would have thought, Bianca. There's going to be a lot more grey area and a lot more risk and it's going to need a lot more of that massaging from professionals to get stuff through when a year ago it was a fait accompli. Now we really have to be able to advocate for it. A hundred percent. Looking at, you know, we saw the switch with the apartment codes. You know, you definitely need a town planner now. There's no two ways about it. And I think the same will happen with the medium density code. I mean, selfishly for the industry, that's great. But I think that it's unfortunate mm. that developers or mums and dads wanting to do two, three, four lot subdivisions now will probably require the assistance of a town planner. More expensive. But it is. On top of that, uh, I think the thing that I noticed very quickly is it's going to stop uh, for very deliberate purposes. Most of the single story, small lot triplex units going up or have gone up for the last 20, 30 years. Everyone is going to be forced in most cases towards townhouses. Again, that is the reason why it will price people out because it's going to cost that much more just to do a small-scale development. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it, it definitely is geared towards two stories and above. And one of the primary reasons why the medium density code is coming into play is because because of the loss of urban tree canopy, right? And that that's a big motive from local governments to push the agenda with the state government about the medium density code. But, I mean, we'll have to see what happens. The other option is everyone just starts developing single-bedroom dwellings, which now can be two bedrooms according to medium density code. Well, and look, that's a really good point you pull out there is there's always changing opportunities as people test the boundaries and someone lets it through and another person think that's not a bad idea. There's always new opportunities in the market and that's probably a good way to balance out the negativity of, the people who will lose out of the median density coders, there are opportunities on the other side too. And the reality is though, the opportunities are probably coming in the bigger end of town. Yeah. And I think, you know, in terms of single bedroom dwellings, it's an interesting topic, right? 
a lot of my clients are starting to move in that space, particularly in the inner city suburbs, because you're competing directly with the apartment market, but you're still giving that land. And land has always been this thing that people in Perth want to be able to acquire. So instead of paying for an apartment, they'd rather pay for a single bedroom dwelling. So I think a lot more opportunity will come out of that because one reason why developers, I think, haven't taken that approach in all instances is because of limitation on bedrooms. Bianca, I would expect you to have a few of the key secrets in the industry as to where things are going. It might not be set in stone right now, but uh, there's always, as we said, things changing in terms of opportunities. And that opportunity, a lot of the times, comes from changing in zoning. Uh, we've seen quite a few areas change zoning in the last five, six years. Uh, where do you think the next places will be where people will be able to add some density to their local suburb? Look, I think definitely along the metro net lines is a key. So there's parts of Morley, Naranda, where there's planned train stations. Also, the Bayswater Town Centre. We don't know what MRA are planning to do, but maybe it will be super high. Maybe they'll expand it. We're not sure. But that that framework is about to be released shortly. So there's always an opportunity around that train station there. But one which, you know, I don't really want to mention because I might want to buy a property there, but I'll mention it for your listeners here today. Thank you. They're welcome. But the town of Bass and Dean's just gone through a draft town planning scheme process. They're, they actually presented it to the West Australian Planning Commission to get consent for advertising. And the Planning Commission has come back and told them effectively that it is undercooked and that they need to increase, undercooked. increase their density and expand the areas of where their density is. But there is a page on their website which you can view the draft version and that's a pretty safe bet, I would think. And that would uh, lead into quickly my comments is if you were to ask me who were the hardest councils to get through, my answer would have been the town of Bassendine. Very anti-development uh, and very tough to deal with personally in terms of the people in the office uh, as well. I think they've had a change in guard. They have luckily recently. Yes, and, <laughs> and I'll give them a shout out. The, the offices that they've got have are good operators and I think there'll be substantial change in there. Well, and that's the thing. You can view on a map some great locations that should have great amenity. You love the area for the vibe, for the culture, but it can be absolutely stained by two or three people in a planning office that keep things stagnant for years. And I think that changing of the guard you spoke about, which happened uh, late last year in the town of Bassendine, hopefully should give some great opportunity for some gentrification because Bassendine is such a historical, beautiful part of Perth. Oh, absolutely. I think it's so undervalued. So undervalued. Yeah. So I think the new scheme and with the changing guard and with their councillors, I think that they should be able to deliver something that will be excellent. <laughs> you heard it, guys. First here from Bianca Sandri of Urbanista, Town of Essendine. Have a look at that one. Thanks for listening along again, as always. And Bianca, thank you so much for coming in. I'm sure everyone really, really appreciated this chat. And I think we'll have to have you in again to speak some more nerdy, deep stuff in the future. You're very welcome and happy to come back. Thank you, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!